Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 2014 film Calvary. Uh, let's step into Baird Fisher's Video Store. Baird, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. Baird, I have to say just off the top, I, I am aware of the difference between Calvary and Cavalry, and I will probably <laughs> say them wrong. They're two words that that I know the distinction and I even know how they're pronounced differently, but I, but I struggle with that L and that V jumping around. Um, wow. There's so much, I have so much that I potentially want to talk about with this movie. Um, let's, let's maybe actually, I'm going to start with a different question other than history. I want to ask you, are you Irish at all? No, I'm not. You're not. Okay. I wish I were, but I can't, I don't have a drop of Irish blood from what I can tell. Okay, well, I, I am so so. Uh, Burn is my uh, is my Irish, uh, my Irish name. I remember mm-hmm. one of my relatives was in, uh, was in Cork, was visiting Cork, and was very excited to ask about the name Burn. And the person there said, you know, like twenty five percent of the people in Ireland are named Burn, so you're probably related to all of us. So, <laughs> uh, um, I, I asked that because I'm having a particularly Irish week. Mm. Um. In all kind of all senses of it, um, uh, even walking in this morning today, uh, for those of you not in Minnesota, today is a gloomy, like uh, kind of damp, wet, but not cold. It's you know it's in, it's in the fifties even by six this morning. It was in the fifties, and it's unbelievably green today. Uh, and there's a degree to which, and Minnesota doesn't look a lot like Ireland, although Southern Minnesota has a little bit more of that feel. It's a little hillier uh, when you get out into the. Um, when you get out into the 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 away from towns and cities, and that's that's where I grew up. Um, I also have spent this week preparing for uh, another podcast I have coming up in a few weeks on James Joyce. So I've been reading an unbelievable amount of Irish literature this week too. So I just so this film just fit right in with like you you picked a great week to have a a, a nice Irish uh, a nice Irish film. So that's that's my mindset going into this. Um, what is your history with this particular film? Um, I, I watched the film on uh, DVD a few years ago, and I think there were a couple things that drew me to it. One is that I had seen McDonough's first film, The Guard, uh, which also stars Brendan Gleeson, and is part of a loose trilogy that he hasn't yet completed. The other thing I would say is I came through the fil- to the film kind of through McDonough's better-known brother, Martin McDonough. Um, I've been a big Martin McDonough fan since I saw one of his productions on the stage in London in 2002. And then of course his, his films, including in Bruges, another Brendan Gleeson film. Uh, so it's kind of, it's, I guess you'd say I come to it through the McDonough brothers. Uh, and I, I, I happen to think they both write brilliant dialogue, uh, create really interesting characters. So um, you, I also had read that this was, this was part of a planned uh, loose trilogy. What is the guard about? Uh, Brendan Gleeson is an Irish um, police officer, if I'm remembering well enough, and Don Cheadle is the co-star of that film. Uh, and I really like The Guard a lot. That's another film I want to kind of get back to. It's a little bit uh, not quite as dark as, as Calvary, um, uh, but it's really very good. Um, what I loved about this movie... Um... Well, I, let's just start where it starts. Um, and there, it has it has two starts that are great. And I will say, I watched this twice yesterday. I missed the epigraph at the beginning of the movie the first time I watched it. I don't know how I missed it. I was sitting staring at the screen. I remember seeing the Fox Searchlight logo, mm-hmm. and then I remember seeing Father James in the confessional, and I missed 
a pretty important quote at the beginning of the movie. So it starts with this uh, with this this quote from Augustine that sets up a lot of a lot of the movie in certain ways. And the quote is, "Do not despair. One of the thieves was saved. Do not presume one of them was damned." Um, which is when I so when I rewatched it and I saw that, I, my mind was just like. Wow, how did I how did I not see that? I love Augustine. I think he's so interesting. And to put that particular quote at the top of this uh, was really inter- was really um, lent some more meaning to the movie. Um, and then it has, and then if we're thinking about the uh, the actual opening of the of the action of the film, um, it starts with a pretty uh, a pretty powerful, a pretty heavy line. That then uh, Father James even says uh, that's certainly a startling opening line, both an opening line to the confessional, yeah, um, but also an opening line to the movie. If you think about it, those are the first words that are said uh, in this movie, which is I think uh, it was something like I first tasted semen at the age of seven. I think is the yeah. opening line yeah. of the movie, yeah. um, which something perfect about that 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 opening is it let me know here is kind of the stakes of what this movie is going to be about. Um, and uh, as somebody who grew up Catholic, like I follow the stories of uh, kind of abuse in the church. Uh, you know, I follow I follow those pretty seriously. Like those are um, things that um, are meaningful to me. I, I grew up, I was an altar boy growing up. So like I, uh, I have no experiences like that, but I, I remember it's, it's interesting. Whenever I hear those stories, I can imagine the spaces where things like that would happen and the moments when things like that um, would happen. So like I felt this sort of weight of heaviness and then hearing Gleason's uh, response to that also let me know this was going to be a movie that was going to be, um, that was going to be funny too. So I, so like it, it set, it helps set this sort of dual tone in this movie. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the ways for me in which the movie works. Uh, some people may f- to me, it's almost in a sense, it takes us back, I think, to a film like Lars and the Real Girl, where you talk about these films that are able to kind of walk that line between drama and, and humor, or actually illustrate how humor actually enables you. We've talked a little bit about this in the past, Sam, that humor sometimes enables you to engage serious issues. And certainly what's very Irish to me about the humor here is there's often a particular dark or black humor about Irish films and Irish literature, and you certainly get that here. Um, one of the things I think is great about that opening scene is is not only how Father James responds to that first line, but that his main concern in that conversation is for the well-being of the, this man who's who said he's going to kill him. Uh, and, and Father James just wants to focus on, well, you know, have you gotten help? Uh, you know, what, 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 what can we do to... to uh, to help you deal with your pain, um, so it tells you a lot about him in that in that opening scene. Mm-hmm. It also sets up the ticking clock of the plot too, um, you know, and and it and it sets up this uh, maybe philosophical thing that that's going to happen in terms of like because you know the he says you know killing an evil priest like wouldn't get anybody's attention. It's like people would expect that now killing a good priest that would really mm-hmm. shake people up. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's setting up what is going to be the thing that's going to kind of push us through. And we even have the, you know, the, the ticking clock that is every once in a while on the screen, it flashes what day it is. And we know we're, 
you know, that, that he has this week to this week to live this week to put his affairs in order to, you know, get right with God, whatever that means before this. So, so I mean, it's always something fascinating to, I think stories of people who become acutely aware of their mortality and like, and feel the clock ticking and think, okay, well, what, what am I going to do with this? Cause we've seen lots over the course of time. We've seen lots of stories of people who are like, this is your, potentially your last opportunity to, to live on this earth and what would you do with it? And it's interesting, you know, to think this is a version of one of those stories. And and then we get to see what father James does. And it's, Which you know, is- and one of the reasons I picked it is because we just, we just celebrate Easter. And so this is his Easter week. I mean, this is, uh, you know, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, uh, he knows what that the cross is at the end of that week. He's going to that cross as an innocent man uh, and that's the obvious parallel that McDonough is making with with Father James. And what I loved about this movie, uh, and we talked about this a little bit with the sort of the way humor is tied in with it, is that it both takes the kind of evils brought on by the church in its history. Uh, and it's it's not just the sort of priest abuse scandals, but we also get the the line from Simon about how we're not at the mission anymore. And what are you, you going to cut my hands off? Of? Like, so there's this sense of like, well, the church has done this as well. And then when he's talking with uh, Brennan, the, the pub owner, you know, he talks about, he's sort of saying like, why don't I hear any of you guys preaching about, you know, all the, the financial stuff that happens and how people's houses are being foreclosed. And, you know, my, my business is going to get shut down. And he says, um, he talks about the church stealing from the Jews and collaborating with the Nazis and how it's like, yep, this is just, it's just more of the same from you. So, so it takes, it, it is, it's, it takes those things seriously enough where it's like, yep, those are, those are aspects of the church. And at the same time, um, take seriously, perhaps the need for Christianity seriously, if not the, if, even if it's going to, I mean, it doesn't do it. Um, this is a, a movie that's happy to live with, questions mm-hmm. um, one of the things i noticed as one of the best answers that father james gives if he is our model of of what mcdonough is mcdonough calls him a good priest you know out when he's interviewed about this one of the best answers that he gives to questions and if you pay attention he says this quite a bit is i don't know mm-hmm. you know so it's not like this is a he's not somebody who has all of the answers, but like you said, in the confessional, he's trying to say, well, how do I care for this person in front of me? What, what can I do? And sometimes they're going to have questions where I don't have uh, an easy answer to it. Um, and there's at least three or four times when somebody asks him something hard and he mm-hmm. just says either, I don't know, or, well, that is a good question. And just sort of like they sit on that. Yeah. He, he, it's interesting, Sam, that he never, he never defends um, or even really addresses the attacks on the church as an institution. You know, people say those things to him and he doesn't, you know, not like the, the junior priest. He doesn't say, well, that happened a long time ago and all that. He doesn't defend and he doesn't engage that particular issue. What he always ends up doing is he always ends up engaging the individual. And it's, it's all about his personal relationship with that person. So, for example, what's interesting is when Brendan... Uh, tells him, tells that stuff about the church's collaboration with the Nazis and with the Jews. How does he respond? He says, you've been making good use of your library card. <laughs> so it's, you know, so it's like he, he he's always coming back to, to that particular connection that he can make or try to make with the individual, even though they are attacking both uh, the church and him. 
Another thing that that I found really interesting, and, and this is this is this runs throughout the film. It's particularly heavy at the beginning of the film, um, and this again oddly ties into my week. I spent Monday um, for a project that I'm doing uh, for Bethel. I recorded um, seven videos, each of them about one of the seven sacraments. So I've been having the sacraments on my mind. So it's very interesting to watch this movie, which depicts five explicitly depicts five of the seven sacraments so in the opening um we see well obviously we see confession at the very mm -hmm. beginning and confession and penance this is a movie about that to a certain mm -hmm. degree it's all over it um we see this communion scene which is really interesting to watch when i watched the movie a second time because the first time through none of the faces are meaningful but this but the second time i watched it it's like every almost every character from the film is at his church taking communion and the ones who aren't are conspicuous by their not being there. So like Michael Fitzgerald's not there, right. but we see all of these other people where you're like, huh, this person that seems um, to be at issue with the church issue with the priest, they're there taking communion as well. So we see communion, we see uh, discussions of marriage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when he's talking with Jack about, uh, about kind of his marriage vows. We find out that James himself was married. They talk about holy orders, you know, yeah. like, you know, cause he's one of these, you know, one of these people who has been both married and taken holy orders, mm -hmm. which is a, which is a rare breed of people. Uh, and we see last rites performed in the hospital. Yeah. You know, so all five of those are there. Now what's interesting is the, the two that aren't there are the two sacraments that are kind of the sacraments of commitment right? Baptism and then confirmation. Um, and and it, to me, like that is kind of the core of the question of the movie is like, what is your commitment to this faith? You know? So like, those are like, we don't see somebody baptized. We don't see somebody confirmed, but, but the questions that are at the core of those sacraments, I feel like are questions which float around this movie and the kind of questions that, uh, that father James is not explicitly asking, but kind of implicitly saying, you know, well, you know, he's, he's asking those questions even to himself. Well, it's interesting you point that out, and I, and I was thinking about the the beginning of the film where you get some of the major characters introduced uh, through the, through the taking of communion. That's a very Augustinian thing, right? Because um, Augustine said that we don't need to sort out on earth who's kind of in and who's out with God. You know, he was very resistant to that notion, right? The idea is that the church is a mixture, and that opening quotation suggests that as well. The church is a mixture of sinners and saints, and uh, we're going to let God sort it out. And so I think that's probably James's uh, perspective as well. Now, you know, I thought a lot about him as a uh, as a good priest. Um, I'm putting that in quotes because that because again, McDonough calls him that. Jack calls him that. Um, and one of the things that I, I found really interesting that he both does as a priest, and this goes back to the thing you were saying sometimes about turning it back onto the turning the conversation back to the specifics. He even says that when he's talking to Simon, and Simon says something like, "Well, I was talking in generalities," and he says, "Well, I'm talking in specifics." Um, <laughs> is he's he's he does a lot of like calling out things people say like there's this it, which makes a script this is a very like self-aware script to it to, a, to mm -hmm. a kind of degree there's a lot of things where like somebody says something which is very clever and uh james or someone else will call them out on that so for example when he goes and visits the uh, the old writer and he mentions the typewriter and says oh it's sort of an affectation and the writer says my whole life is an affectation and james's response is to say that's the kind of thing that sounds clever but doesn't really mean anything 
<laughs> you know, which is also a clever line, but it's like, okay, well let's, I, I, it, that sort of saying, like, I want to actually like, I don't want to just play a verbal game. I don't, even though this is a great script, I don't want this to be about just the words that we say. Um, and then when he meets, uh, when he meets Veronica out of the ocean and he asks what she wants to do and she, and she talks, she quotes the Bible, you know, consider the lilies of the field. And then he, they, they kind of go through uh, kind of like hacky Bible. It's like, yeah, those are, those ones are kind of the ones everybody goes to for this and that. So kind of aware, like, you know, we're it's because they're they're They even have this conversation where they talk about uh, he and the doctor talk about playing roles. Right. Mm-hmm. The doctor's like, you know, kind of how cliche the atheistic priest is or excuse me, the atheistic doctor and doesn't have that many good lines. And the doctor says, well, the role you're playing, the good priest. Now, that's an interesting part. So, like, I, I, I really love the uh, love the kind of self-awareness of that. And even at the very end, when Jack says uh, a friend is just an enemy you haven't made yet. Yeah, and he calls it out as cheap cynicism, and then yeah. Jack calls that back out and says it's it might be cheap, but it's not. Or excuse me, it might be cynicism, but it's not cheap, right? Yeah. This it's a, it's a a hard earned, a, a hard earned cynicism. Yeah. Um. So I, I I I like that particular that particular tactic that gets used, and like I said, it gets used against him when he starts to, um, when he's with his daughter and he starts to tell the the Finn McCool story, and she just jumps in and says it is like, oh, is this the one you were going to tell? It's like. We've been reciting these things back and forth to each other. How do we get to like a genuine moment? <laughs> yeah, he's, he says her recital doesn't have much poetry in it, does it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I really enjoy that. That's one of the elements of the film I really like, Sam. I, I, I like films that are, that are self-aware, that are, that are smart without being smug, right? And so, you know, you think, you, 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 and, and that, again, that's a very Irish thing, right? I think that that kind of verbal facility is very, is very Irish. And so, yeah, the, the 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 line that the writer gives, which, I mean, McDonough gets to have it both ways, right? He he, he both gets to have the clever line, but also he gets to deflate the, the clever line at, at the same time. And in a way that the film is kind of set up, it's, it's really a series of, um, it's kind of a series of verbal battles in a way, right? It's it's like this this constant sparring uh, that James goes goes through with people and trying to kind of cut through what is in fact affectation. In a way, it's almost as McDonough is saying that there's danger in being able to use words well. And it's like what happens is first you get the line that presents a front, and then you probe to see what's really behind that front. It's like it's like Fitzgerald always boasting about how much money he has and how expensive all of his things are. This, this is the front that he puts up and, and James knows how to kind of get behind that front. Yeah. And what I like about all of that happening throughout this story is it sets up um, a scene that's important, that that's really important. Um, and again, the self-awareness of this movie, as this scene is starting, it's, it's it's when he is talking with his daughter before she leaves. They even say it's like he telegraphs like this is going to be corny. Like, look, we're having this walk up on this hill. We're con- like, so it's like we're gonna it's gonna be corny. And then they say this thing that is kind of corny, but it's like a deeply true thing. But it's like they have to acknowledge, uh, you know, because they're talking about like, oh yeah, it's it's gonna be like a like this this feels like like a corny play from the abbey theater that we're watching and it's like yeah but what's the third act reveal and then we get to the, we get to it and it is like i'm always going to be in your heart and you're always going to be in my heart which is like not the most poetic of lines it is it's it's like it's kind of like the hacky bible like we could all we could all pull that out or or do that but it's also 
because they they undercut it beforehand like it's also a real moment right and and and, and it, it enables him to enables him not to lie to her about what he's going to do and and i think she she in a sense she can't fully know what that means but she can kind of suspect it one of the things i also love about that scene um as well sam in terms of defining james's character is to be a good priest is not to be a perfect priest you know so it's, it's really important i think that his humanity is shown as part of his goodness that he's not good despite his humanity, but he's good because of his humanity. So he's honest, he's made mistakes, he feels bad, he's tried to expiate. He obviously has the blow up in the bar uh, with, the, with the gun and he's not above cursing at times. So the good priest is not, is not the perfect priest. It's more that there's a moral or an ethical, a religious goodness at his heart, but it doesn't mean that he's without, uh, without fault. Well, and that that actually leads exactly to to the next thing I wanted to think about, which is we get these three. There's three priests in this movie, right? There is um, there's the there's Father James. There's the what I assume is a bishop or an archbishop that he goes and talks with, and then there is the wonderfully named Father Timothy Leary, which like it's got to be a joke, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and and I feel like they all give these sort of different images of the priesthood of the church um, that are they're they're all different. They're all real. They're all the, ch- they're all versions of the church. Um, but it's, it, I think it's really interesting to watch James interact with both of them. Yeah. Um, uh, the Bishop is, strikes me as somebody who's like um, kind of in some ways represents like the institution of the church a little bit more. Like, like I find the conversation really interesting when the first conversation they have where he's talking about well did he ask for abs did you absolve him did you so he's like well did a sacrament happen because if a sacrament didn't happen then that seal isn't there and then we can do it's like it's it's uh he's very interested in like the rules of it you know and and uh you know and in in some ways um yeah i mean so so it's like upholding the institution but also willing to I don't want to put too much on him, but I think about like the line of like, uh, you know, collaborating with the Nazis and it's sort of, and again, this is unfair to this character, but that's the type of thinking which would allow you to say, well, what they're doing is this and this, but technically it's not this. So we can still stay here and we can still be what we are and have this kind of distance or detachment from it. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a kind of a kazooistry in his, in his, in his reasoning. And, and again, it's another one of those instances where, He's interested in parsing the rules, and James is interested in the individual that he that he has this relationship with. So I think that that so, so you're right. You 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 get a you get a real spectrum, right? You get the Timothy Leary, the priest who maybe shouldn't be a priest, and the bishop who represents the order, and then you get James who represents um, somebody who actually has a compassionate care for others. Well, and I would say the word that he that that James uses, which uh, struck me both times is when Leary's leaving. Um, and it's, it's this wonderfully like, uh, caustic moment too, because he's leaving and it's like, he's apologizing for everything he said last night. And then he said, it's just that you have no integrity and that's the worst thing I can say about someone. Uh, and I, to me, like that is almost a mission statement for this movie to a certain degree, because what we see with Leary is like, Leary is very interested in like, 
taking Fitzgerald's money. He's very imp- like when Fitzgerald holds up that ugly pen and says, this is a whatever. And he says, it's very expensive. And his response is to be impressed by it, where there is, to my mind, nothing impressive about that pen. I mean, I mean maybe oh, I don't even know what that is, but it's like, okay. <laughs> and, and, and he's the, he's also the one where uh, I love the conversation they have after James talks with Simon and, uh, and when they're t- we're talking with, with Father Leary later, Father Leary's saying like, well, the church needs to be careful when it gets involved with diversity. And it, like, he's just, it's like, he doesn't really want to, to, to touch certain things in that way. Um, and Father James, on the other hand, like, if we think about the word integrity, right? Integrity, I remember a, a chapel talk that Dan Taylor gave about integrity and he compared you know, and he talked about integrity and talked about the idea of an integer, a whole number, right? Mm-hmm. Something that's whole versus something that's duplicitous, right? That is putting on different faces in different situations. And I would say that the overwhelming quality of, of Father James is that he is imperfect, but he deeply, deeply aspires to be, to have integrity, which, you know, to, to always be the same person, whether he's talking, you know, with Father Leary in the sacristy, you know, after mass or whether he's ta- out on the streets talking with people or out in the bar talking with people, he, he aspires to be a whole person in that, in that way. And to him, that is, uh, to him, the pe- the flawed people around him perhaps have more integrity than father Leary does, but at least they are who they are. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's interesting. You should bring up Dan Taylor and integrity because I have to say that Brendan Gleeson, the way he he actually reminds me a lot of Dan Taylor, just to, just in terms of his facial expressions. And so I, I actually kept thinking about Dan. Uh, and those who are listening who don't know Dan Taylor, Dan's a former colleague of ours in the English department and uh, a, uh, a, a very uh, a, a very wise person in a lot of respects. And I just I kept seeing Dan as I was watching Brendan Gleeson. I thought, if Dan were an Irish priest, this would be him. That's right. That's right. <laughs> There's also this great line at the uh, towards the end, um, which kind of circles back on a lot of this stuff when he's talking with his daughter on the phone, really, as he's about to go. It's, it's interesting, you know, as he's going out to the beach to meet whoever his uh, killer is going to be, he keeps encountering these people that he's met along the way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and one of them, he has this phone call with his daughter and he says, uh, it seems like there's too much focus on sin and too little focus on virtue. Um, which is maybe his own critique of, um, if not of the church, even of of kind of what happens with uh, certain expressions of Christianity or theology or things like this. That that we we tend those are the we we tend to parse out sin more and like want to you know and we we focus on that because and and we'll get to this as we talk about some of the characters. Um, this strikes me as a movie full of characters who are trying to prove to the priest that they are irredeemable. It's like, how much can I do? Like they're both interested in talking about potentially forgiveness or things like this, but they're maybe not, they're not taking that seriously. And there is this, cause I think this is the thing which happens within, uh, within Christianity and within people's sort of struggles of faith is like, uh, am is it possible for me to be too far gone? And people almost, it's almost like they want to push that as far as they can, you know, to see the depths from which they either can be saved or once you cross that line, you've at least then freed yourself from the anxiety of salvation because I've given up on that. Right. That is there, there's a version of the atheist that is that right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Veronica is certainly an example of that, you know, she wants to describe herself as a, as a lost cause. Um, and, you know, and I think that, 
it's Fre you know Freddie Joyce, who of course is also Brendan Gleeson's son in real life. Um, you know, I mean Freddie Joyce really kind of pushes that right. This, the that at the moment he kills people, that's when he really feels like a god, and that really stretches James to know how to respond. Um, but he says, you know, if if God can't understand you, Freddie. You know, no, no one can. And then you see towards the end, the ultimate, and we can talk about that montage at the end later, but if you see at the end what effect those words actually had on Freddie. So even people that, in a sense, are trying their hardest to push God away uh, are not necessarily un unredeemable. And that's sort of, I think, the faith that James has. Um, I want to talk about my favorite scene in the movie, um, which is, and, and probably my favorite character, although I don't know that he's as central of a character as some of the others, but I think that the scene where Milo comes to meet uh, Father James in the church is has some of the funniest lines um, in it. Uh, and, and Milo seems not exactly out of place in this movie, but he seems the most like, like you could pluck Milo out. And if you changed a couple things about him, he could be a side character in a Wes Anderson movie. Like there's just, there's so yeah. many like pieces about, he's such a, a quirky little character um, in this movie, but he comes to, to father, uh, to, uh, to father James um, asking about why people commit suicide and suicide is this thing, which I mean, this, this movie is interested in suicide and murder and, maybe thinking about those things as things which intersect. Um, mm. I mean, there's, there's lots of questions about that. So yeah, sort of why do people do that? Um, and, and, you know, Milo talks about how he's contemplating either committing suicide or joining the army. <laughs> and, and, uh, and father James, you know, says that those both seem like extreme options in different directions. Um, and, and, uh, it, it's a very funny scene, but I, but he makes a, uh, but father James makes some interesting points. He talks about, there's something, psychopathic about people wanting to join the army during a time of peace mm -hmm. um and and milo what's interesting is milo keeps spouting off things that are clearly coming from like uh army commercials you mm -hmm. know it's like he keeps saying like it's a chance to see the world it's a chance to get a vocation um and my favorite line in the whole movie to the point where i paused it and i walked i found my wife and i said i just wrote down the line wanting to murder someone would be like having a degree in engineering or something. It would outweigh my lack of qualifications. <laughs> because I think Milo's making a, but Milo's actually making a point there. He's like, they mm -hmm. don't say that in the commercials. In the commercials, they talk about finding a job and seeing the world. But it's like, ultimately, don't they want people who are willing to kill someone? Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, I mean, that's it. It's an extreme statement, but I think that's like that's that's a sort of deeply powerful. Uh, it's it's a deeply powerful thing that he's wrestling with. Like, like if I have these feelings, you know, one way to do them is to go find a place where it's okay to do that. Right. Now it's and interesting because Father Father James's um, uh, advice to uh, to Milo is to go to a place where he can deal with some of these urges. Now he's pointing to different urges. He's like, if you want to go find a place to find loose women, he's like, you should go to a big city. You know, he's like, well, let's, let's maybe let's not deal with the, like, let's not try to find an expression for your murderous thoughts. Let's try to rechannel them into something else, you know, which is maybe not the advice you would think of from a priest, but, but again, he's thinking about the person in front of him. Right. That's it. It's, it's, it's the realist. It's the realist. Right. And, uh, and, I, and, and we assume that Milo takes that advice, right? Because later on, as James is driving to the airport, he passes Milo on his, uh, on his scooter. And so since they're both heading towards Dublin, I guess we assume that's where Milo goes. Um, a couple things. One is that uh, 
James himself has murderous impulses that he has to control, right? When he shoots up the bar, uh, and he knows that the bullets are gone when he when he aims the gun at Brendan, but still he has that desire. Um, I'll also say that my favorite line in that scene with Milo is at the end when Milo says, "Thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Father." I can't say it's been much help, <laughs> but it's good to get these things out in the open. <laughs> um. Other characters that we haven't uh, talked a lot about uh, the the doctor uh, Frank mm -hmm. Harris, um, which was also one of those things where I saw the I saw the actor and I was like, how do I know who this? Like I I it was a face that I knew and it took me I had to look it up because I'm like I I just know this guy. Um, he's a prominent character in Game of Thrones. Is it's why I knew oh. him. But I was like, man, I this guy I have spent a lot of time staring at that face mm -hmm. and I couldn't I couldn't place it. Um, he along with sort of the sort of witty stuff about playing the role of the atheistic doctor um he tells this story about a the a child who through a uh had surgery and through a, an accident of anesthesia is left deaf and blind um and sort of like basically depicting this kind of like living hell that this that yeah. this 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 child is in and this becomes like a, a uh, one of the kind of tipping point moments for uh, for Father James, and I found that that uh, that story very affecting on me. Like it was it was terrifying to think about. Well, first of all, he the the doctor is the for me at least the least um, sympathetic character. He's the one who, when he shows up, I don't really want to spend any time with him. Uh, he seems to me to be the most thoroughly cynical, you know, st stubbing a cigarette out on what seems to be a heart, for example. Um, yeah, he's obviously presenting Father James with one of the most extreme examples of the problem of evil. Um, and I think what's significant is, and you pointed this out about Father James early on, he does not presume to have an answer. Instead, it says, why the F would you tell me that story? Um, and, and that, and that's really all there is to it. The story is just intended. It's not intended to, it's, it's not asking for any kind of explanation. It's not saying how it's really, a it's really thumbing his nose, um, at faith. It's, it's like Pilate saying, what is truth? He's not looking for any answer. He's just trying to make a clever point. Um, so I, to me, again, it's one of those moments when, when father James reveals his humanity within his faith. Uh, he doesn't have cat answers, and it just sets him off. Well, and it, yeah, and it provides it. It provides this sort of test of his, of of his faith, like because he doesn't have answers. Doesn't have answers to that. Um, another character, uh, Michael Fitzgerald, the 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 rich uh, the rich guy. Um, I mean, he is depicted as somebody who's trying to like both buy forgiveness, but also doesn't necessarily it's hard to know whether he cares about the forgiveness or not. It's, I mean, it is just this sort of like, I mean, he embodies the meaninglessness of, I mean, if we're thinking about in Augustinian terms, like the meaninglessness of holding too tightly to these sort of worldly pursuits, you know, he talks about how I have this and I have this and I have this, and he keeps pointing out how much something costs and how, like, even the, when he asked the question of like, when you look at me, what do you see? And he doesn't even let, the priest answer he just then goes into like he's reading lines he goes into i am this i am this I, you see this you see this um and then he has this you know he has this, this moment at the end too where you know as 
uh, Father James is is going to his death like this. You know this 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 a, another kind of last reach out to to. Yeah, he's 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 kind of a clumsy character for me. Um, he's a little overwritten. I think he's uh, I think a lot of the self dramatization about his wealth is doesn't ring true for me. Um, it's funny you mentioned that Milo is kind of a Wes Anderson character. I thought of Fitzgerald is a he seems to me as a character out of a Woody Allen film, um, especially a film like Crimes and Misdemeanors, where he says he feels like he should feel guilty, but he doesn't. Um, but at the same time, despite First of all, one of the things I find interesting about him is that James, Father James is perfectly willing to exploit his cynicism. You want to give money to the church? Make it a hundred thousand, if you really if you really want to do that. So it's interesting to me that Father James is is not naive about that. But despite all of that, there's a moment of of true compassion slash perhaps connection at the end. And it, and also, I think the significant reason for that scene with Fitzgerald at the end is I I don't think. I don't think that Father James necessarily knows he's going to die. I, I think he knows it's possible, but given the fact that he's a person of integrity, I think when he says to, to Fitzgerald, I'll come by and talk to you later, I think he really means that. I, 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 you know, so I think, which is why it's important that, you know, in, in the conversation with Milo, I think it was the question of whether Jesus was a suicide was raised. And I think it's important that his death not be a suicide. And we've already had that conversation with their da his daughter, right, about whether suicide is a mortal sin. And he doesn't really want to support the church's teaching on that. He has a great, great line. He says, God is great. The limits of his mercy have not been set. So he has to go to that beach hoping. It, it's, it's, he's gone through his kind of his Gethsemane moment, you know, when he turns away from the plane at the airport. That's his Gethsemane moment. So he has to believe that. Um, it's possible that he won't die, but he has to go forward even if he will. The one character we haven't talked about at all is uh, Teresa, the woman who was in the yeah. car accident and her husband dies. Um, and she's interesting because she's an outsider to this community. She's not, I mean, everybody else is from, <laughs> from this unbelievably small place. Uh, you know, when I, when I, when I realize. There, there's moments when I realize like we've maybe seen all of it. Like this is this <laughs> yeah. is not there's not like another bigger big place here. Like this, this it feels like this is all of it. So it's interesting that we have this, that we have this outsider there, you know, and she's has this conversation with him about um you know he, how many times he's given last rights to people and how different it is when it's somebody who is old and it's this thing that in the death is this thing that you expect. You know, and and she also seems like somebody of, um, somebody for whom faith is is a little more real and, and and is a little more consolation to kind of what what she has to be wrestling with. Yeah, she's she's the other side of uh, the problem of evil, right? She says if faith is only the fear of death, uh, then it's easy to lose. And she says her husband's death is not unfair. She she says it's what happens. What's unfair? And this is important, as she says, is not to experience love. And of course, she then is the key, she's the key turning point for him, or her husband is the key turning point, right? As he's about to get on the plane and he sees the cavalier way in which the coffin is being treated, and he thinks about what is what is the meaning of that husband's death? Um, what is my role in this? And that's what that's what I think is his Gethsemane moment, and that's what turns him back uh, rather than escaping. Another scene that I thought was really um, 
uh, affecting was when was when he's walking and the little girl he's oh. walking and he's talking with the little girl and then you get the it's it's one of the moments where you get like a big like shock surprise because all of a sudden this car pulls up in front of them and you see this sort of terror on her father's face terror and anger and it's interesting because like we know father james so it's like well obviously like like this is not like like you want to defend him but it's like at the same time i understand like like he this is father james having to bear in a different way the weight of the sins of the church right, right? that that it's like yeah, we're probably in a world where you can't go walking in the woods with a little kid you don't know yeah. and where the where you know where you don't know the parents. And it's like so that was that was this small moment that was actually uh fairly poignant for thinking about, you know, if he is a if he is a Christ-like figure to a degree of like carrying the weight of the sins of others, like this is a moment where we where we see that kind of illustrated. Yeah, so so even though he tries to deal with others as individuals, the fact is he's part of an institution. And he can't really, uh, he can't, he can't, there's nothing, he, I mean, that's both why he has a vote. That's both the, 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 the glorious part of his vocation, as he tells his daughter, I have a vocation, but it's also the weight he has to bear, as you said. So let's get to the end of this movie. There's, uh, let's get to the beach. Um, and we see Jack, uh, we see Jack show up, uh, kind of, you know, walking from the, from the blurry distance. Um, and we see that the little boy, the altar boy who, was drawing a picture at the beginning of the movie at the same spot. And it's interesting because James asks him, you know, who are these two people on the beach? Yeah. And he says, Oh, I don't know. And he, you know, says this thing about ghosts and, and then we get back and he's now this, this drawing has become a painting or it's, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and it's interesting because now there are two people on the beach. Yes. Uh, so that's, this is very interesting. Um, and, and Jack comes up and uh, I mean, the, to me, the, the, the peak moment of that conversation is when they talk about the, the dog that the, the dog who's been killed. Yeah. Um, and, and Jack asks him, well, did you cry when the, did you cry when you found the dog? And he says, yes. And he said, well, did you cry when you read about um, the, the priest and the abuse? And he says, no. And then he talks about detachment and the word detachment comes up, I think three times in this movie, it comes mm -hmm. up here. It comes up in the previous scene with Michael, when Michael's talking about, yeah. you know, that, that he has this disassociation or detachment and uh, father James asks, where does that come from? And he says, nowhere. Mm -hmm. And then at the very beginning of the movie, when they're talking about hearing confession, mm -hmm. father James says, we have to have a kind of detachment um, yeah. from these things. Uh, but that becomes this, this moment of, um, you know, in some ways, if we talk about Father James as an imperfect character, like it's like he he in this and this is a movie where things get called out. Like he really, uh, Jack really is calling out a, a pretty important thing here. Yeah, you know that. And, and, that yeah. and, and James is honest because he doesn't. I mean, he, it gets back to the fact that James thrives on personal connections, and he has no personal connection with those victims. And so he could have lied. And said, "Oh yes, I will." He could have begged for murder, you know. He, but instead, he's he he's true to himself in his answer, and that's really the case. So we go from there to um, to he ends up being killed, and it's it's it is really well done because I didn't know like is what is what is Jack going to do at this moment? And when he like so when he actually shoots him, it was like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. Like I I wasn't sure what was what was going to, to sort of play out there. Um, and then we, from there we go to this, like 
montage tableau where the camera's moving across and we see most of the characters from the film. Do you want to talk about that set of images? Yeah, first of all, let me say one more thing about his shooting. One more, one more way in which this film reminds me of something else, and that is it's like the moment at the end of Flannery O'Connor's A Good Man It's Hard to Find uh, when the misfit shoots the grandmother because she was starting to make sense. Um, and I think that's when that I think of Jack's shooting James that way as well. It's like I better if he keeps talking, he might actually persuade me not not to do this. Um, yeah. So the montage um, reminded me I'd totally forgotten about this Paul Thomas Anderson movie Magnolia. Uh, Magnolia ends with a montage like that. It's also another one of those kind of multi-character films. And I think it's you know, and it also features one of those characters we haven't talked about at all. The the uh, the guy with the the strange Brooklyn accent. It keeps talking about Fada. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, some of the montage communicates important information, right? So you see Freddie Joyce actually finally writing down and confessing, uh, we assume saying where the, uh, the last body can be found. So I think part of it is to show those who have been affected by Father James and his lives are changed and maybe those who, who, who haven't. Um, and so it kind of gets back to that opening epigraph, right? There are, there are some who are saved and there are some who are, who are not saved. Um, so I, I, I think that's what's going on. I didn't watch it a second time the way you did, Sam. So maybe you saw more. No, I mean, that was, that was, that was absolutely my, my, my sense of it. And you, and, and, and like with anything, you just get this snapshot. So this is not everything about this character, but you get these, these little, these little moments of sort of, and it's also, you know, who who are the people that he has had these connections? If this is a movie about this person who views his understanding of faith through these personal connections, it's sort of also panning back through many of these personal, uh, these people he's had these personal connections with. And then we have the very end scene of the film um, where we're in the prison and we see um, uh, Fiona, uh, James's daughter coming to talk to someone who's in prison and we see Jack come out and they both pick up the phone and it cuts away before we hear anything that they, that they say. Right. And yeah, and we have to decide, you know, is she, is she is, because her last conversation with her father, which you were pointing out was about virtues being underrated. And he mentions forgiveness in particular. Um, he says that of course, because of himself, he wants to be sure she forgives him for his faults as a father. Is she there to forgive Jack or to condemn him? Um, and I think it's left for us to decide. Um, and I'm so much happier that it is. I'm so like, like it, it's, it's, it's far more effective to end on the note of like not knowing what that, what that is because it's, yeah, it, it also, it also allows you to have to sort of think through what you think that character would do to think through what you would do. Right. And I think that's one of the things that, conversations about faith and integrity and these types of things ultimately are pointing you towards, right. Is to think about how you live your life, how you think about these virtues and things like this. So I think that's if, really interesting. And if you're a McDonough, you don't need to write that dialogue, <laughs> right? You don't, need, you don't need to worry about it. Are you going to write, are you going to write something hackneyed? Uh, so yeah, you just let, let the, I mean, I, I love films that, I mean, to, to me, in the sense, this film kind of has it both ways, right? It's both very self-aware and does its own work for itself. And yet, it, and yet it leaves certain things for the viewer to do. And to me that I, I love, I love it when a film does that. Absolutely. Are there other things you want to talk about? I just, I just wanted to say that I really enjoyed um, Anthony Lane's review of the film in, in the New Yorker and, 
And one of the things that, uh, that Lane says is that, um, uh, that, that, that what he describes as Father James's true Christian response is even rarer in cinema than it is in ordinary life. And the idea that this is a film that takes faith really seriously without being preachy about it, without being, I think, cliched about it. And he says that in, uh, again, Lane says, in this character, we see the plight of the lonely believer in a world beyond belief. And I think that's a great, a great description of how this film was wrestling with how do you have faith in a world where so many people, and this said in the film at one point by somebody, you know, Father, we're basically living in a post-Christian world and you, you and your kind, you're just, um, you know, the, the world has passed you by. And this yeah, film, it, the film helps convince you that is not the case. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's Brendan, the, uh, the pub keeper who says like, like you and your time have passed and yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's not the case. Oh, I really, I really liked this movie. I, uh, it was, like I said, it was, I didn't watch it until yesterday. So, um, usually that means that for some reason or another, either I'm really busy or I'm sort of putting it off and, but I carved out time to watch it. And I really, I, I really liked it. And I loved, again, I loved this script. I, it's one of those where I want to go back just because some of those scenes are so, they're so funny. And I, I love when somebody can take something that asks big, serious questions and still, and that the humor is part of it. It's not, it's not trying to do two things. It is one, it is integrated mm-hmm. in that way too, right? That it is, that the humor is, seems fitting to the questions, seems fitting to the people. So what do you have for us for next week? Well, I'll tell you what I don't have for us because um, I feel like we need to lighten the mood a little bit. So um, <laughs> what I would have liked to have done is follow this up within Bruges uh, which is another great Brendan Gleeson performance, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I'm, and I'm also going to recommend The Guard. You asked about The Guard. I think The Guard is a really good film. I love the, the uh, tension or the uh, chemistry between him and, him and Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle's a great actor. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to do an Albert Brooks um, comedy, uh, but it's along the same theme. Uh, so it's a 1991 Albert Brooks film, Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep. Uh, it's called Defending Your Life. Um, and it's about, uh, Albert Brooks at the beginning of the film dies and goes to, uh, judgment city. Uh, and so, uh, that's, that's, that's the topic. I'm so excited. This is a movie I've always wanted to watch and have never seen. Uh, it gets referenced a lot, uh, at least in the circles I'm, I'm in the things I read, the things I listen to, I hear people talk about. Uh, taught reference this movie a lot, so I'm very excited to uh, to watch. Yeah, I think maybe it's sort of a cinematic forerunner to the good place in in, in a sense. So yeah, great. Well, Barrett, thank you so much for uh, for recommending this film. I had never heard of it, and I it's really I really really enjoyed it, uh, and I really enjoyed the the conversation. So thanks for taking the time to talk about this. Um, if you're enjoying listening to this podcast and want to get a hold of us, you can email us at channel3900 at gmail.com. And we will be back next week to talk about defending your life in the video store. Mm-hmm.